All right, let's get on into the, the word. Last week we were up in uh, Centralia in Chehalis, Washington. Sue and I were at a great church up there, uh, pastored by Jonathan and Christy Big Biggers, and uh, they've got a great church and uh, that was started by Daryl Corbin, who's now on staff at Manor House, and we, we miss being with you, but it's just kind of part of what we're doing these days is trying to get to churches to encourage them. So the next three weeks, we, are, we want to address the subject of who we are and uh, who we are as a church. And specifically today, I want to focus or bring our focus today on really what are our values in who we are. You know, one of the words that I have in my heart for the church this year, and really I think it's in my heart of how I'm going to end my tenure as the lead pastor of the church, is I'm going to, I'm going to beat a drum about a concept called unity that you've never heard me emphasize so strongly and so intensely as I will in the next two years. That whatever we, we do, we, we, we will buy into it together. Now we have diversity here. We have diversity of, of uh, backgrounds. We have diversity of generations. We have diversity of opinions. We have diversity of gifts and abilities. We have diversities of theology. We got people coming from Baptist backgrounds, Nazarene backgrounds, Pentecostal backgrounds, and, and they come they come because they they feel they're touched with the presence of God and they and they want to grow. We got Armenians and we got Calvinists and we got them. We got all we're all over the place here. And of course, we try to keep a consistent focus where we're going in that. But the one thing we we, we want to get a buy on on the things that we think are absolutely important. We want everybody to weigh in on that and say, yeah, I'm I'm in on this. We, I think that's what happened in the three weeks that we did the starving curriculum. I'm going to call it the starving book. We'll call it the starving curriculum. We sought God for three weeks. I, I've never, we've never done anything in a three-week period of this church where we had so much participation of the rank and file of the church and so many people talking the same thing and sharing the same experiences across the board teenagers to people, you know, who are just got a lot of gray hair and a lot of energy, okay? So we crossed the spam on that, and, and everyone was extremely excited and digging in on that. How many enjoyed that experience? It was, it was, it was powerful, and I think it had a transforming effect on our church because we, we all bought in. Now, the things that we call important to, to us, we, we, we're calling them our our values. So I want to start today uh, with some scriptures that support this thing called our values. You're going to kind of figure out how are these scriptures connected, but you know, I can connect anything. I think you've learned that, but I, I'm, going to, I'm going to connect these when it comes to our values. And if you're visiting with us, what you're going to get, you're going to get kind of our, our moral biblical ethic today on why we do the things that we do and the scriptural basis behind it. So let's get into a few things on, on the scriptures here. First is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, one of my favorite scriptures. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, if you've been, if you've been raised with Christ, our resurrection where we are going to be called out of the grave is an already reality. It's not something we wish for. It's a reality now. Everyone say now. now. Okay, so because of that, I have been forgiven. Because of that, I have been adopted. Because of that, I have access to God. Because of that, I have access to the Spirit of God. Because I have access to the Spirit of God, I got the mind of God. Because of that, I got the authority of heaven backing up. Because I've been raised with Christ. 
And I'm also lifted out of sin. We're going to have a baptism here on, on the 16th. And what happens when you come out of the water, you're being raised with Christ to live in the power of his spirit. We've been raised with Christ because of that reality. And then one day we're going to dwell with him for all eternity. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's great to celebrate cultural things like, like, um, like today the Super Bowl and you know, and I saw, I looked up scores today, and the Trail Blazers looks like they, they won. Uh, was that fourth straight game? And, you know, and there are all sorts of things going on right now. It's, it's, it's fun. It's fun to have your hobbies and everything else. But we are to seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What matters to us are those things that have eternal, not temporary, values. Things like the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. Things like having a relationship with God that starts now and goes into all eternity. Things like chasing after God like we did in January. We want to continue that so that we might know God deeper. I love the way Pastor Jess worded things and framed things. He, he's poetic. He's colorful. He uses a lot of words that brings a, a richness to a particular concept. We want to know, just not know God, but we want to know him deeper. And we also want to make him known, both here in our community, we want to make him known far around the world. Come on, we want, that's eternal. Now, health is important. Okay, I, 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 I worked out this morning. I mean, you were on Sunday. I worked out today. I didn't get a chance to work out yesterday. I sweat and had to throw my clothes in the hamper because they stunk. Okay, I did the whole thing. Health is important, but if it's not tied to the eternal purpose of God, why, why, why so into that, Bob? So that I could run a full race. It's simple. I don't want to spend my last years not being able to function for the extension of the kingdom of God. You know, I want to run, be able to run through an airport with my suitcases. I want to, I want to be able to sleep on a hammock. I want to, you know, I, I go to five-star hotels sometimes when I'm not here. They're great hotels. You lay on your back, you can count them. One, two, three, four, five. It, you didn't get the joke. But anyway, <laughs> I got to be healthy. If it's tied to a purpose, it's good. Money. Money's an important issue in many different ways. Just show me a person has no money and doesn't know when they're going to get their next meal and just tell me how happy they are. Money's important, especially when money's tied to the purpose of God, to extend his kingdom, to support people, to relieve suffering. Okay, money is an important thing. So, yeah, money's important because of what it can do intrinsically to extend the eternal kingdom of God. We think vacations are good and travel good. It's all good if it has the purpose of renewing me, renewing me in my spirit, renewing me relationally so I can, in a healthy way, get back into the game and fulfill God's purpose. These things are good, but we seek those things which are above, not now. Let me give you some other, couple other scriptures. Same same line, these two scriptures, but I want to emphasize something here. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. How many people are glad that God's given you a secure life? But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Proverbs 11, verse 3. The integrity, the integrity of the upright guides them. 
but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Integrity means to be honest. That's what integrity means. But also means to have strong moral principles. In other words, you, you live your life by a moral compass. And in our case, that moral compass is based on the scriptures. It's a moral compass that you live by. Now, let me give you another scripture that really determines our values. You say, well, this is not even related to the two that you laid out before, but there's a reason why I'm going to give you this scripture. And you'll hear it more as I preach on here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a fancy multi-syllable word, it means to bring at one minute. It means to bring two parties together that were separated. This happened by his blood to be received by faith. Now I wanted to present this particular scripture because without understanding a few things, that one, that we've all sinned. There's not some exceptions in the room here. We have all fallen short of the standard of God. That's what that means. Now, you maybe like two airplanes taken out of Portland and, you know, and we're going to Chicago and one, one somehow crashed in Nebraska. It got close. The other one crashed, you know, in Troutdale. And the one that went to crash in Nebraska, it got closer but still fell short. It fell short. We've all fallen short of God's best. We've all, though, in this have been justified. We've, been, we've all been acquitted by guilt by grace, by God's unmerited favor. We've all have experienced that favor through what's called the redemption of Christ Jesus. In other words, he paid the price for that to take place. We've all been brought together with God in reconciliation because of the blood of Jesus. And we've all received all of that because of this thing called faith. Now, why is that important? Because unless I understand that, then every moral principle that I live by, every value I live by, I will try to live it by posturing myself to be morally superior to other people. But somehow because I got these convictions and I got these values, I'm morally superior to you. When I've been quitted by all my guilt by the sacrifice of what Jesus has done, not me. I'll become a, a legalist. I will become one who tries to earn my salvation by being who I am in my own strength, and I'll begin to evaluate others as less than me, and I'll destroy my approach to God, and I'll destroy my approach to people. I've watched it destroy relationship after relationship after relationship. Beautiful picture in the, um, in the picture of the tabernacle of Moses. If you know this story, it was when they got out of Egypt, God said, I want you to make me a temple tent. I want to be right in the middle of the camp. And of course, this tent really set the stage for how they were going to worship in a permanent temple later on. And it involved a number of pieces of furniture. And one was, was called the brass or the bronze, excuse me, the bronze altar where they sacrificed animals pointing to Jesus. Blood had to be shed. Punishment had to be given in order to have access to God through a substitute. But the second thing the priests did, they were butchers. They, you know, it was all dirty and dusty as they they began to wash in this basin called, the, called the, the, the brass laver. 
They would wash themselves before they came into the place of God's presence. That, that original, basically, bath was made out of the looking glasses of the Egyptian women. So when I was washing myself as a priest in those days, I could see through the mirror in the back the blood that was shed for my sin. Sometimes we wash and we forget the cross. We mature and we forget the cross. We have victory, but we forget the cross. And what it does, it postures ourselves to be superior to other people. It makes us people that like to point out the failures of others and have more of kind of my do things in my strength and my approach to God and people. Now, what are values? Before we get into it and rattle them off today, what are values? Well, values are these things. They're things or ideas that are important to us and reveal our beliefs and motives. They reveal our beliefs and motives. Behind what is important to us is a belief system, and what is important to us is a motive system. I'm going to give you an example, and hope it doesn't sound like I'm bragging about myself. I'll make some disclaimers here. But an important value to me is to be a servant. That is something that's an absolute issue in my life, and I've carried that value even before I started City Harvest Church. It was something very, very important to me that I would, that I would be a servant. In other words, I wanted to try to live a life where God and other people were more important than me. So this is one of the reasons why I have a policy right now with how crowded the parking lot is that all staff has to park at Jason Lee. You know, I don't have a, I don't, you don't have a parking space where it says Bishop Bob. <laughs> don't touch. It's pastor, pastor's parking. Don't touch that thing. Now, a lot of pastors do that, and I don't judge them. They, they need access to their office. But I, but I wanted to live this out. It was important to me. That's why I, I believe so strongly that there's no task that's beneath my dignity. I'll have you to know that I am the sound man for women mentoring women. Why? Because Sue needed someone to do sound, and I have to live with Sue. I will do sound. I enjoy it. I get to hear the different women speakers, and I do a little counseling as they come by and give me their prayer requests and give me updates on situations. It's kind of fun, you know? It's like one on a hundred. Anyway, it's good. But doing the garbage or vacuuming the floor, whatever, it's, it's not beneath me because I, must, I want to be a servant. Sue and I have tried to live frugally as best as we can. We enjoy good things in life, but we could buy more things, but we feel that not just the, not the image, it's just the finances, that we don't want to hurt the church. Your team here, your, your pastors, your leaders, the staff, they sacrifice a lot. They sacrifice financially in doing their job. There's been a lot of sacrifice to make this church move forward. I want to be a part of that sacrifice with them. It's just, it's just something that we do. Now, what's my belief system behind that? I believe that Jesus said, I've given you an example. So I'm to follow that example. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
My motive to that is that I would be pleasing to God in all that I do and that I would benefit others. Now, I wish I were a saint. I have my moments of greed. I have my moments of jealousy. I have my moments of entitlement. I have PMS. <laughs> Poor me syndrome. The other day, just a, had a horrible carnal thought. Thought I'd just confess it to you. Years ago, I, I'm not going to tell you what I did. I did something that was pretty cool, pretty sacrificial. And um, you always wanted to like, tell a story about it, but I felt like God gagged me. And no one ever recognized. There was people who knew what I did. And no one has ever, this is, of course, this is like 30 years ago. No one's ever recognized what I did. And the other day, I started thinking about that thing. Like, not one person. <laughs> not one person thanked me. Not one person saw what I did. And for about five minutes, I'm starting to have this thing like, doesn't anybody know where I am? <laughs> so I wish I could say I have a halo over my, my head. It's an ascribed value. It's not always actual in my life that to be a servant. That's important. That's a, that's a value that's backed by a belief system and by motives. Now, values can be personal, can be corporate. So just as I have personal values as a church, we have to have things that are absolutely important to us. Of course, this is the basis for our vision, what we do. And it's also the basis for our culture, what people experience when they become a part of us. Now, values are governed by a thing called ethics. I'm giving you a little workshop here so you understand why this is so important. Ethics. What do we mean by ethics? Ex ethics evaluate what belief or motive is behind the value. So ethics are concerned with actions of human beings and the choices that they make. That's what, that's what an ethic is. Is it, is it a moral action? Is it a biblical action? It, it, it concerns our action. And it's possible, I want to say this, it's possible for a church to have a vision that's neither biblical nor ethical. I'm going to give you an example. Maybe my vision is to be the biggest church in Vancouver. And you say, well, Paul, that's a little bit far-fetched. Not that it couldn't happen, but, I mean, just who would have a vision like that? I know a lot of people who have a vision like that in the ministry. That's our, that's our vision. Now, the, the motive behind this vision, it's important to be bigger and better than others. The belief behind this system is this, because significance is determined by mass numerical accumulation. So the more numbers I have, the more significant I am. That's the belief system. And so what happens with the ethic here is driving people and making insensitive decisions towards others, and the process is justified. Now, I know a church that absolutely this was the vision pastor would sit in his office. He had more than one campus, and he would watch his campus pastors and what they were doing after the service. If they were praying with people at the altar and not at the door, grabbing the new visitor, 
he called them on the carpet. His goal was to be the biggest church in America. It was the seed of his own demise and the demise of his own ministry and the demise of his own church. He had a vision that was based on an unethical position. So ethics evaluate whether our, our vision is correct or not. You can see this in uh, Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Jesus comes down who is in the midst of the church, and he's measuring his churches, not on their numerical size or what they've accomplished, but are they lining up to his will as the head of the church? He's evaluating their ethics. He's evaluating their foundation. So our values have to be that. Now, what are the values of City Harvest Church? Let's, let's dig into this and bring this home today. First, we study the Bible. I love this book. I've, like many of you, and I've read it many times over and over and over and over and over again. I've studied books sometimes, oh, for hours and hours and hours. I have some books really mastered, some books not mastered, and that's why I always love to teach, and I love, I love this book. It's the God, it's God-breathed. God breathed upon men who had limited knowledge of life, who had only the understanding of their own context of observation. He used them in their human frailty to breathe his thoughts, to reveal his plan and his nature, to reveal human history. And it's a fascinating book because it was written by 40 matters who you think wrote the book of Hebrews or 39 authors over 1,600 years on three different continents and three different languages. And yet we have one of the most unfolding progressive stories that could ever be contrived by any man. We call it the Bible. You know, as a pastor, I have observed over the years the people who love this word and apply it in their life have experienced great reward. I love Psalm 19 and verse 11. It's David's talking about the, what the law of the Lord is, what it does. And he says in verse 11, yes, your servant finds moral guidance there in your commands and your judgments. Those who obey them receive a rich reward. Not just a reward, a rich reward. There have been times that I've sat at holidays, my kids, um, my grandkids, the blessing that Sue's put upon our house and our life and our marriage. I don't say this to make people who are going through rough times feel bad because we've gone through our trials. But I'm just overwhelmed at how faithful God has been. I appreciated that song today about the goodness of God. Because as we, Sue and I, in our early 20s, said, you know, we're going to build our marriage on this book. We're going to build our child raising on this book. We're going to build the way we handle money on this book. We're going we're to do it. We haven't done it perfectly, but we, we're committed to doing that. We have seen the faithfulness of God. And I have observed, as a pastor for tons of years, I won't even tell you how old I saw my picture in the brochure. I am getting old. <laughs> but I have... Uh, 
I have observed that those who commit themselves to this word apply it in their life. I've seen them break family curses, change the course of, of what's been handed to them from generation to generation in the past and change the whole course of their family tree. I've watched them prosper. I've watched them advance in life. And I've, I've seen it by the hundreds because they committed to the word of God and there was rich reward. We love to study the Bible. Wednesday nights, we're doing a Bible class every Wednesday night in the three trimesters of our church season. We're going to start an Old Testament survey starting this Wednesday night. We're going to take you in two trimesters through the Old Testament, and then we're going to go into the New Testament. It's going to be what we're going to do probably for a year. If you got, we do, we're going to have child care, so come on out. You've got to register for it. But uh, we'd love to see you uh, become a part of that and to learn the Word if you've never taken a survey class before. The second value that we have is this. The second value we have is we emphasize the work of grace. We emphasize the work of grace. Now this takes us back to Romans 3, where I read earlier, that we cannot do anything apart from who God is in our life and how he's working and what he's done for us. Without God's intervention, God, without God's power, without God's unmerited favor and power being given to me, I can't do anything. Now, here's the truth, church. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. He, he perfectly kept it as a sinless man, and he paid the penalty for violating it. And therefore, the law was set aside on, on, when it comes to the basis of how we stand before God. It's been fulfilled. We are now justified by faith. Now, this is such an important principle. It's not just, okay, yeah, Bob, you're like a broken record. No, it applies to everything I do in my Christian life. He fulfills it. This is why we can accept people where they're at. Where they're at in their process, because God's working on them. As the old saying goes, be patient with me. God's not done with me yet. How many people have wanted to tell somebody that? We're in a process. Because of what Jesus did for you, we can accept you, and you can accept me right where I'm at in that process. You say, where's the ethic, Pastor? The ethic is this. There's nothing that I can do apart from the work of Christ in my life. Paul said, Galatians 6, 14, I will not boast in anything except one thing, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Rich Froning, who is the t- one of the top in the history of CrossFit, the top basically athlete in that particular world. I think he's eight-time world championship in the Reebok Open Games. He has a T-shirt that is produced by Rogue Fitness that has Galatians 6.14 down the side. If I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ and his work, we're, we're nothing. We want to emphasize that. But we believe in the work of that in people's lives, which leads, because of that value of grace, we believe, we, we encourage failures to become champions. There's two things about God that are true. First, he loves you. And your brokenness, and your twistedness, your weakness, and he loves you more than you can imagine. The second thing about God is he wants to be glorified. Isaiah 48, verse 11 says, I will share my glory with no one else. Well, how how is God going to do that when it comes to you and I? 
He chooses people that natural man would look at and said, there's no way they could do that. So you say, man, God's called me. That's not a compliment. God uses me. That's not, that's not saying much about you. He chose you so no one would think you did it. Little Sila moment. Why would God choose me? So he could get some glory. Because man ain't going to point to you and say, man, look what you did. They would say stuff like, I can't believe this. This, this shocks me. All of a sudden, God gets the glory. You got a platform now. You got a platform. We encourage failures to become champions because God is going to glorify himself through the most least likely instrument he can find. Because we emphasize grace, we make disciples out of the uncommitted. You know, one thing I'm not interested in doing is discipling what I call recycled saints. What's a recycled saint? It's the person who's taken every class we've ever offered, who has been mentored by more pastors than we can provide. And they've just been discipled and mentored and mentored and discipled and taken classes, and they're just the same person. Jesus didn't say, go make disciples out of one person. He said, go make disciples out of idol worshipers. What we want to do is we want to take people who have gross fear issues and self-rejecting issues and disillusionment issues and, and discouragement issues and disinterest issues, and we want to stretch them into greatness. We want to take, you know, Debbie disillusioned and make her into a radical follower of Christ. We want to take, uh, you know, I don't know, Freddie the fearful. Make him into a radical follower of Jesus. We want to stretch them. We want to take Hannah, the half-committed, stretch her into greatness. It's kind of like when Jesus hands a pastor his team, it should not be too impressive. Like, this is my team? I got a person who's got serious self-rejection issues. I got a person who's got serious addiction issues. I got a person who's disillusioned. This person barely has faith. That person has a horrible attitude. What a, that, those guys are half committed. What am I supposed to do with this team? Win the Super Bowl? <laughs> Extend the kingdom of God to the nations of the earth? with this team? Give me a team, Lord. Give me a team. You know, I have pastors call me all the time. Bob, can you give us uh, somebody for a youth pastor? Bob, can you give us a worship leader? And I say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you find a few potential people at your church? Send us to, they can stay at my house for three months. We'll pour into them. We'll give every tool they can, and we'll send them back to you, and they'll, they'll start producing. No, no, no. I have no one. I have no one. And I actually get a little almost angry. So you want to know why I have them? Because when no one would give them a chance or believe in them, we said, we called them into greatness. And we called it out of them. And now it's a finished product. You want them. You're called to 
take failures and make them into champions. The uncommitted, make them into radical followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Because we emphasize grace then, we build leaders. We build leaders. Ordinary leaders who by their submission to the work of God and their life and trusting in God's powers, they attempt extraordinary things for God. I'll never forget by my own confession, my own confession having Andre Provost in my office. When Andre first came to this church, and if you don't know who Andre is, he's now in Thailand planning churches. Because he was very socially awkward. I'm just going to be real truthful about Andre. And uh, I said, man, Pete goes, Bobby, you got to talk to this guy. He really wants to go to Thailand. I'm going, oh, Pete, 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 Pete. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in my office, and Andre starts off this way. He goes, Pastor, I know that I'm a little, I'm a little different, and I'm kind of awkward the way I communicate, but I, I have a, a level of Asperger's. Well, first I felt shamed. Okay. And he goes, I, you know, we, we spent, I don't know how many years planting churches in Thailand. So you've already done this. <laughs> yeah. And they have fruit out of nothing. We take ordinary people and we get them to believe that they can do extraordinary things for God. Had a, I had a coach when I was in um, high school. His name was Zeke Zimmerman. And um, he was the greatest motivator I've ever met in my life. The way he motivated you is by lying. <laughs> and he would, he would like pull someone like uh, Pasquale out of class. Hey, Pablo. Oh, Pasquale, 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 Pasquale. He goes, I saw you running the other day in uh, gym. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I'm telling you, I saw that stride. I saw your form. You come out for track, I'll get you to break the four-minute mile in two years. <sighs> come out for track. He had everybody coming out for track and field. Everybody. But you know what? He was my, he was my neighbor, and he, he moved. He, he was actually a, a Mormon. Don't, don't lose the story here, okay? <laughs> and he was on his way to Utah, and I was helping him move. He called me Mac. I was 13 years old. I was about 135 pounds, slower molasses. He called me Mac. And I'm in the truck, you know. Look at those will with Zeke. He goes, Mac, you're what us coaches call one out of a thousand. <laughs> you, keep, you keep studying your books. And I went from like a D student to a C plus student. I thought I was doing really good. You... You keep working out like you're doing, I'll get you a full scholarship to BYU. I don't know if I'd ever want to play for BYU, but that right there, anything was good. Because I can see you right now pulling around that corner in the blue and white. I never saw Zeke again. I went home that night, I grabbed my little sister Carol, I said, get on my back. I started running up hills and doing push-ups. Gained 17 more pounds. And then age of 14, I made the varsity team in my high school. Went through three weeks of training with these 18-year-olds, and I made the team. And then they kicked me off because I was too young, according to state standards, to play in the varsity. 
graduated 190 pounds, 22 in my class, played four years of college football on the dean's list because one man, one man said to me, a kid with nothing going for him, you're one in a thousand. So I know personally in the natural, because I think it's a divine principle, that God doesn't make junk. When he made everything, he said, it is what? He said, what? It's good. Come on. Acknowledge every good work that's in you by Christ Jesus. Come on. We're going to take ordinary leaders, and they're going to do extraordinary things for God. And so I see a prophet in you. I I see a, a worship leader in you. Come on, Casey couldn't even play a guitar when he came to our church. Come on, I, I see a preacher in you. I see a business. I see a millionaire in you. Come on, I see you can touch the community. But we've got to speak life into one another. We want to take ordinary people to do extraordinary things for God. We passionately worship, as you saw today. We recognize that everything's from Him and everything's through Him and everything's to Him. We're greatly appreciative of all that He has done and all who He is. Come on, we're overwhelmed with Him because of grace. Because of grace, we live in community. We live in community. Come on, I've been accepted. I have been adopted because of the merits of Christ. Therefore, as God has put his love on me, I got to recognize that God has loved you the same way and he's justified you and acquitted you from guilt and adopted you and received you, so therefore I receive you. Because God values you, I value you. And we do that by living with each other, living out our faith. Because of what? Because we emphasize grace, we build families. It's interesting as you look at the book of Ephesians that we studied last summer. It has a beautiful progression in that. And in 2.8, you know the verse, Paul says that we're saved by grace. In verse 10 of chapter 2, he says this, that we are his poema. We are his artwork. We are his masterpiece of painting and sculpting and, and crafting together, you and I. He's, he's waving you before the world on what he's formed in you. Then he gives a lot of practical steps of living this out practically and in verse 18, he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, as good Pentecostals, we interpret that this way. Being filled with the Spirit, we lay hands on people, they recover, we, we, we speak in tongues, we rift our hands, we shout, we prophesy, you know. Sometimes people walk up to me, he goes, you got a word for me? Oh, just hang on there, let me just draw it out of here. You know I mean? <laughs> well, we, 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 we believe, that's what we think it is. But it's interesting in verse 21, Paul said, at working that spirit-filled life out, he says, submit to one another in, in the reverence of Christ. And then what he does, he takes being submitted to one another. In other words, offer ourselves to one another. He ties it to marriage. The justice in the Godhead, the Father and the Son are equal. They have two distinct roles. And in marriage... Husband and wife are equal, but they have different roles. There's a protective covering side to the husband as head of the house. There's a wife who responds to that, but also compliments her husband. What I mean by compliment her husband, it's not, way to go, Pete! Okay, it's not what I'm talking about. That's not compliment. It's making up where Pete's lacking. Two are a team in equality. 
And in that equality, as they submit to one another, they offer themselves to one another. They work as a team. They die to themselves for one another. It's not in marriage, you just completely, and you make me succeed by fullest potential. And if you don't meet all my needs, I'm done. We're not compatible. No way. I die for Sue. I live my life for Sue. I lay my life down for Sue. Why? Because Christ laid his life down for me. And in that, we raise a generation of children that they might know God and extend his kingdom throughout the earth because of grace. We build families. Because of grace, we develop spiritual gifts of every member of the church. A great prophetic word by our elder Doran today. And, and um, we're saved by grace, but we're also given abilities by grace. God does, just doesn't give you forgiveness. He gives you force. He gives you power by his unmerited favor. I love what Peter said to the man, at, uh, he said to basically the crowd when he raised the man at the gate of beautiful in the book of Acts. He says, why are you gazing at me when this man was made well? That by my godliness or by my power, this man would be made well. Why are you gazing at me? It's by the name of Jesus this man walks. Why would God use you? Because he chose to use you. But I'm unworthy, absolutely. I remember listening to a teaching of Bill Shiler years ago where he talked about why doesn't God tie character to the gifts of the Spirit? Bill, you may remember teaching this. Because if that were the case, I would want to become pure because I wanted to get something from God. Scary thing is God uses me apart from me. And I could be used by him and not doing well. It forces me to search my heart. The word for gift, charisma, comes from the Greek word charis, where we get the Greek word grace from. It's a grace gift. But as the prophetic word said, and in my notes it says, he didn't give it to you for you. He gave it to you for others. You're a gift to the church. Everything God wants to do through you is a gift to others. And of course, because of the grace of God then, we plant churches globally. We want to make him known. As the Father sent the Son... And so the Son and the Father send us the Holy Spirit to empower us, and the Son, according to John 20, sends us now. He says, the Father sent me, so I send you. And we're going to go make him known in Vancouver, in the nation, in the nations of the earth. It's that simple. Because of grace. Paul said, I'm a debtor to the Jew, the Greek, the barbarian, the Roman. Why? In other words, I have an obligation. Why? Because of his call, but also out of appreciation for what Jesus did for him, he now extends that to others. This is who we are. This is City Harvest Church. This is why we believe what we believe. This is why we do what we do. This is why when you're with me, and if anybody's ever got any coaching from me, he said, you know, you just kind of spill your weaknesses on Bob and all your pain, he just starts laughing. Why? Why am I so joyful? Because I see that God's going to make you into a champion. 
Because I see that God's got you a place where you're not trusting yourself, you're trusting in Him. And you're a place for Him to really start doing some wonderful things in your life. 